All right. Well, good morning, church. Doxa, it is great to see you. Go ahead, grab a seat. Um, if you're new, I want to welcome you again. Uh, my name is Rob, one of the pastors here. It's, it's great to have you part of the, the Doxa family uh, today. I'm excited to open up the Bible with you this morning. But before we do that, guys, I, I want to give you a, a quick update on some exciting things that have been happening in the life of our church and just honor uh, a few people. But, but first, as, as Nate kind of mentioned, we had our Salt Company kickoff on Thursday night, and guys, it was just awesome. And if you're wondering, if you're new, like, what's the salt company? Is that like your side hustle for Himalayan table salt? No, it's our college ministry. All right, we love college students here. And so uh, on Thursday night, we were in the middle of campus on Library Mall at the end of State Street with couple hundred college students raising voices to Jesus as loud as we could without getting ticketed, and it was just awesome. But Rudy and Katie and Akua and Zay and Jesse and Bobby, all of you, a whole slew of volunteers, we, we appreciate all your hard work. But the thing I love, guys, about you is that it's not that you just work hard, all right, but you, you love Jesus and, and people, and you love college students. And so thank you so much for all the work that you put in to doing that. And Doxa, let me just ask you, just would you be praying for, for Salt Company? praying for our student leaders, um, praying that, that we would see many students come to know Jesus this year. And for our college students here, like those of you Salt Company leaders, I'll just tell you, like you guys are making like a kingdom difference, like a gospel dent here in Madison at UW, and you got a church family that's, that's praying for you, okay? But not only did we have our Salt Company kickoff, but we also had our IFC kickoff last night. And so IFC is our international uh, student ministry. And Nicole Ryerson and the IFC leadership team welcomed over 200 international students from around the world yesterday. And it was just an awesome, awesome time, okay? And, and, and Nicole, I don't know if you're in here or not, but I'll honor you and just say thank you. Um, thank you for keeping our heart beating for the nations. You know, our, our goal is that we exist to share the gospel in our lives for the glory of God, the good of Madison, and the world. And, and you and your effort and your heartbeat um, is really just keeping us going for caring about the nations. And so, Doxa, keep praying for IFC because here's the nature of IFC, all right? It's not just to throw, like, a couple cool events or anything like that, but our hope is that God would allow, like, true, real, deep friendships to happen, and that would lead to students meeting Jesus. And as they would finish up their schooling here and go back home, wherever that might be, they wouldn't just go with some awesome memories and a good education, but they would go with the gospel, the saving message of Jesus, to back to their home and, and really just with the mission to give it away to everybody that they meet so more and more people would meet Jesus. Because this is the goal, right, Docs? So we talk about this all the time. It's Jesus and people, people meeting Jesus because Jesus loves people. And so pray that that would actually happen. So we actually had a third kickoff this week, our Doxa uh, youth kickoff. And so Caleb and our youth leaders, we, we love you. And because we, we talk about the next generation being a kind of a core value. And Caleb and Doxa youth, you guys are at the tip of the spear, right there with Doxa kids and Salt Company. And so we appreciate everything that, that you're doing. But last thing I'll say before we get into the Bible, I don't know if you know this or not, but today is actually a significant day in the life of our church because Doxa Church turns five years old today. So happy birthday, Doxa. You know, we don't have balloons or cake or anything like that, but we had a Bible. And so we're going to open that up here in just a little bit. But um, really cool day for our church family. All right. And you know, the 
The essence of, of birthdays, um, you know, is, is just interesting because it's the start of a new thing. It's a celebrating of the start of a new thing. And it's so interesting because, you know, when we celebrate our birthdays, you know, we get presents, people sing to us, all this stuff. They honor, write cards, all that stuff. But our, ver- our birthdays really have very little to do with anything that we did, right? I mean, on my birthday, it would make more sense for you to find Cindy Warren's number and just be like, hey, good job. You loved Rob's dad. You did a thing, and God brought about life, okay? Good job, right? Write her a card, send her a cupcake. But, you know, because I really had nothing to do with my birth. I just kind of popped out, okay? Because I, I say that today because as we turn five years old, we do, in fact, celebrate. But as we do, I want us all to remember that the birth of this church has very little to do with us. That sure, we, we did a thing. That out of our love for God and our love for people, there was a handful of us that moved to Madison with the hope and the prayer that God would, would start a church. And he did, he brought life to it. And, and we remind ourselves of the truth of our name. Doxa Church, all right? Doxa literally means glory. And so every time we say Doxa, we're reminded that it's not about us, but it's all about Jesus. It's not anything that we do. We're not that significant. We're not that glorious, but there is a glorious one, and we point to him, and we honor him for doing everything among us, okay? And so this is our our posture. And so as we celebrate five years today, we're saying thank you, Jesus. We're saying thank you for changing lives, for saving families, for changing stories, and for providing for us in such a way. And we just come before him humbly and just say, "Would would you give us more, give us five more years of just seeing you move in miraculous ways, okay? And so, guys, we're gonna celebrate by opening the Bible, but before we do that, I'm gonna pray, um, and let's just pray for all, everything that's been happening, and then we'll, we'll get into this, okay? So Father, we love you, and Jesus, we thank you for your mission to seek us, and to serve us, and to save us, and God, thank you for all that you have been doing in our midst. Um, we're just imperfect people, that have a perfect God, and just we, we love you, and we just say thank you for allowing us to be part of what you're doing through this church. God, would you allow Salt Company and IFC and Doxa Kids and Doxa Youth and all these things that we do um, with the hope that people would meet Jesus, would you allow those to just actually accomplish that end? So Holy Spirit, we need you to do that. Just ask that you would move, and even today, God, as we open up the Bible, Holy Spirit, light up the words that you've inspired to be written and, and help us to learn something. Help us to see you for who you truly are and change our life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so happy birthday, Doxa. Grab your Bible. Find your way to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. Here's what we have today and really for the next several weeks, okay? We, we just finished up. Uh, a seven-month study through the Gospel of Mark. We're entering into a new fall season. We're starting a new school year. And before we jump in to a study through the book of Jonah, all right, we're, ta- we're taking the next six weeks to kind of focus in on the central thing of doxa, the thing that grounds us, the wind in our sail that pushes us forward as a church. We're, we're spending the next six weeks talking about the Gospel, And here's the why behind this, okay? Doxa, the church of Jesus Christ is primarily about the gospel. You know that? We're not primarily about helping people become better, more loving people. 
All right, that's life coaching and behavior modification. All right, we're, we're not primarily about helping you to steward your money better. That's financial advising. We're not primarily about alleviating poverty or getting involved with politics or social reform, okay? Now, hear me on this. Okay, those are all significant. They're important, but hear me. These are all secondary. We're primarily about the gospel. And in a room this size, I, I know that when I say the word gospel, there's some of you that you can clearly and concisely articulate what the gospel means. And I know that also there's people in this room that when I say the gospel, you're like, I, I really, is that a book in the Bible? Like, I don't know exactly what that means. And so, so we can be clear on the central thing and get us all on the same page as the family of God. We're gonna spend the next six weeks kind of going through what the gospel is and what the gospel does. And so let me start here. We've titled this teaching series Explicit Gospel. All right, and these are two words that I just wanna briefly just touch on, okay? But the first word, explicit. All right, explicit means like stated clearly. It's explained in detail, leaving no room for confusion or doubt. And this is our goal over the next six weeks, to clearly state in detail what the gospel is so that there is no room for confusion or doubt. Because guys, when we talk about the gospel, okay, the gospel has to do with eternity. And so if we get this wrong, guys, there's eternal ramifications for us all. And the way that we're going to approach teaching about the gospel is not by us finding like a new innovative approach or anything like that, but we're simply just going to open up the Bible and we're going to see what God reveals to us through the scriptures explicitly. And so this is what we mean by explicit. Now, second word, gospel. All right, I want to put this as explicitly as I possibly can, the gospel in five words. God saves sinners through Christ. This is what we're talking about with the gospel. This is the most important thing, more important than anything that you can know in your life. And guys, when we say gospel, here's what you need to know. Doxa, there is in fact a God and you are not him. That's something that our world needs to hear. Because we oftentimes like operate in a way that we become functionally our own God, deciding what, but there is a God and we're not him. And this God created everything. And he created you, and he created you in his image and his likeness, and he loves you. That you, someone in here needs to hear this, you, just because of who you are, you have been made in the image of God, which means you have dignity and value and worth and purpose, and you might not see that in yourself. People around you might not say that about you, but God has de declared it. And so it's true, you are loved by God. And this is true of every single person in this world. We oftentimes talk about this, but you've never locked eyes with someone that doesn't mean a significant amount to God. I know you're, some of you think about your neighbor wearing the Bears jersey and yelling at your kids and the dog pooping in your eye. That guy, that guy too, okay? It means a whole lot to God. Everybody. But this God is good. This God is caring. He's loving. But in addition to that, this God also has rules and laws by which he governs. And the truth of all of our lives is that we have all violated and broken these laws and these rules, and the Bible calls that sin. Sin is just anything that God is not. And we all have sin in our life, even the, the most perfect-looking person in this room, that we don't do things that we should do, and we do things that we shouldn't do. This is, this is sin, and that sin, which is a part of all of our stories, it separates us from God. 
Because God is holy and he cannot have a relationship with us who are unholy. But I want you to hear this. Because out of his great love, God acted to overcome that separation. And I love what God did. That he didn't give us something to do, but he sent Jesus to do it all for us. And so Jesus Christ, who is God become a man, he stepped into human history and Jesus came because he loves you. He came because you need him. He came because apart from him, there's no forgiveness of sin. There's no conquering of death. There's no hope for eternal life. That apart from Jesus, guys, there's no hope for beyond the grave. There's only eternal separation from God, which is the terrible conscious reality of hell. But this God who made you, Jesus Christ, he lived without any sin, the life that we cannot live, And then he did the most selfless act that the world has ever seen, and he died in our place for our sin on the cross. That he took my place so that he can put me in his place. He took condemnation so that we can have salvation. He took separation from God so we could have reconciliation with God. This is Jesus, and he loves you. He's made a way for you, and his heart is open to you right now. And what we saw, what we talked about like last week, because Jesus, he didn't just die, but he rose. And as he stepped away from the grave, all right, he, he conquered Satan, sin, death, hell, the wrath of God, and he validated and he vindicated every one of his claims to be God. And his gospel is true. And so we, we look to him, we worship him, and when we come to him as Savior and say, I have sin." You're a good savior, take my sin, I'll follow you. He brings us into the family of God. This is the gospel, amen? This is the gospel, this is Jesus. And so for the next few weeks, we're gonna break this down. And today, what we're gonna do is we're gonna start with God. So you got the gospel in five words, God saves sinners through Christ. We're gonna start with God and we're gonna ask a big question. What is God like? You thought about that before? Like a little kid comes up to you or your neighbor's like, where do you go every Sunday morning? You go, I go to church. Oh, is that with God? What is God like? How would you answer that? We're gonna do something a little bit different today, okay? If, if you're new, our, our propensity is really just to go through books of the Bible, kind of chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today, we're gonna start in Exodus chapter three, and then we're just gonna kind of hop around, and I'm gonna do my best to land the plane and make it all make sense. But we're gonna see. I'll give it the good old college try, okay? But... Exodus chapter three, we're gonna start in verse three. And so as we get into this, guys, there's chances are, no matter how familiar you are with the church, you've probably heard this passage referenced before. It's the passage with Moses in the burning bush. All right, and at this point in human history, all right, Moses is meeting with God, conversing with God. God's people, the Israelites, are enslaved in Egypt. And God is having a conversation with Moses about what he is going to do. But here is what we see in Exodus chapter 3, verse 3. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, and, the God, and Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Now, guys, this little phrase, 
the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, at this point in human history, this is what they called God. But what we're about to see is that God is going to give us his personal name. He's going to give us his personal name, which tells us a lot about what he is like. Verse 7. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me and I have also seen the oppression by which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. I want you to underline that in your Bible. I want you to circle it. I want you to highlight it, whatever you have to do, because this is a massive moment in Scripture, a massive moment in the history of humanity, because God has now introduced himself by his personal name to his people. That up until this point, people would just talk about the Creator, the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, the God of Isaac. And now God breaks in and says, hey, no, 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 no. My name is I am. I am who I am. And let me tell you why this is significant, okay? See, we're seeing in this passage is what theologians call the transcendence of God. That God is is bigger than us. He's, He's ultimately different than us, and he's actually over us as king. And as we see here, because with the fact that that how God reveals himself, we see something so important about God that God is actually self-defining, okay? That God is the one who defines who he is, that no one defines God. No one defines who God is, and I need you to understand this. See, Moses didn't come and say, well, here's what I think God is like. He didn't come to God and say, here's what I like about you, here's what I think about you. Moses didn't define who God is, but God just says, I am who I am. And I need you to understand that the truth is no one but God defines who God is. That God alone defines himself. And this is so important because, guys, you and I live in a time where everyone is trying to define God. They're trying to define who they think God is and what they think God is like outside of how God has revealed himself in Scripture. And this is Christians, too. And we hear this all the time as people talk about what they think God would do or what they think that God should do. Because, guys, the impulse of every single one of us, our bent, is really just to try and define God in our own image. To make God who we want him to be. To pretend that, like, the way that we see the world is the way that God should see the world. And many people have the thought that the way that they would approach a situation or the way they would approach an issue or a cultural moment or something like that is the way that God should approach that situation. Because this is how I feel, so God has to feel that way too. Because this is madness, 
right? It is just madness because God alone is God. God is self-defining. He decides who he is, how he does, and what he says about situations, about circumstances, about issues. And so guys, please hear me on this. Guys, your opinion, and let me just say, I'm stepping out because, guys, I did this for the majority of my life. I put God in a box and said, this is who God is because I don't want to come face to face that I'm not God. And so God, I've made God say certain things and believe certain things. So I'm not throwing stones, but I need you to understand your opinion of what and who and how God operates is of no consequence. And I love you, but you don't have the power, nor does it even ultimately matter what you think about how God has revealed himself and his ways to humanity. Like your opinion of God can at times just like leave reality altogether. Like if I were to come to you and ask you like, hey, what's your favorite type of dog? And then you like introduced me to your cat, right? And I'd be like, hey bro, that's, that's a cat. And you're like, no, no, this is, this is Rover. It's my, my favorite dog. At some point, I have to bow out of that conversation because you're not a part of reality anymore. And so many times we approach God in that way. When people talk about God, they've left reality that they're defining, they're taking upon themselves, and we do this too, Christians. And we define God in ways that he doesn't define himself throughout the scriptures. And so it's not so much what we think about God, but how God reveals himself. I just need you to understand, guys, that God is not a concept that you and I get to shape to our liking. God says, I am who I am. This is the God of the Bible. You'll see this in your Bible as, as the word Lord in all caps. This is Yahweh, Jehovah, I am who I am. But again, okay, so God is self-defining, but the big question, what is, how does he define himself? How does he reveal himself? This is what we're going to talk about. And there's a guy named Nathan Finocchio who's done a lot of work on this, has a lot of great resources, wrote extensively on this. I'm going to share with you some of this today, but I would encourage you to look that up. But we're going to fast forward from Exodus, the second book of the Bible, all the way to the last book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 4, verse 8, it's going to come up here on the screen, but here's what we see to that question of what is God like? And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes, all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. So here's what's going on, all right? God in a similar yet different way is meeting with somebody. He's meeting with the apostle John here as he met with Moses and he's giving John a vision of heaven and of God. And in this vision, what we see is that he sees four creatures they have six wings and eyes all over, all right? So in my head, I'm picking like a Pokemon, right, with like a thousand GoPros surrounding everywhere, okay? This is what's happening. But their job here, these creatures, what they do is they just simply fly around the throne of God. And they get like a 360 aerial view of who God is and what God is like. And day and night, as they look upon God, they sing the song that never stops, and they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And they're doing that right now as we sit in this room. They're just flying around, gazing at God, staring at God. 
and there's only one, one descriptor, when they're the closest to God than anyone, one word that describes what they see, holy. And this is what I want to say to you that, that might throw some of you off, but I got the next 20 minutes to fix it if it does. They don't fly and sing love, love, love. Do you get that? They sing holy, holy, holy. This is the one word that describes what God is like, holy. That the word holy is used over 400 times throughout the Bible to describe what God is like. The Bible talks about God being love twice. And it's in the same chapter of 1 John chapter 4. And we have to talk about this. All right, because today, I don't know about you, but it almost feels like the reverse is true. That people are like, well, God is love, and it says it 400 plus times in the Bible. And sure, he's holy, but it only says it twice. And we see this in like the songs that come out. We see this in, in books. We see this in, in sermons and preaching. We hear Christians kind of talking about this. But I want you to know, guys, this is just a very narrow lens of God. But it's not wrong, okay? It is not wrong. Don't hear me say that, because God is love. But it's narrow because it's not the whole picture. And look, I believe in the truth of 1 John 4, 8, that God is love. That's emphatically and explicitly true. And I'm thankful for the love of God, or I wouldn't be up here on the stage. Amen? But God is first holy. He has a holy love. And God's holiness has to do with his just perfection, his absolute moral perfection. And his holiness oftentimes speaks to him about being a perfect judge. That God does the right thing all the time and he can only do that which is good. And so his love is a holy love. It's a perfect love which makes it very different than the love that we try and think about and grasp and enjoy and give away today. Because the truth of what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, this love, it rejoices in truth. And so truth and love are are very simultaneously connected with God, that he is a holy love that is rooted in truth. And here is why this is important for us to talk about, guys. I've, I've watched friends of mine, a lot of like young people, kind of deconstruct their faith because they don't understand the tension that exists between God's holiness and his love. They, they can't wrestle with this tension and this paradox and so they just throw it away altogether. But what's interesting, guys, is when people are, are young, like a three-year-old, right? Think about when you were a kid, maybe, or like my kids think, like when we're three, we, we know that our parents love us but they also, we also know that our parents aren't going to put up with our crap. We break the rules, we're going to get our butt hit, right? Or the spoon or something, right? And, but we, don't, we didn't have that conflict of like, does mom actually, does dad love me? No, we knew it. We knew that they loved us even though that they would discipline us. But then you get these people that they go to the campus and all of a sudden they start to think, man, God is only love. Because there's no way that he would punish. He, there's no way that he would do something that I don't like. So he's only love. And their view gets drastically changed because there is a tension that we have to live in as we seek to understand what God is like. So yes, he is love, but he is first holy. 
if you want to see what this tension looks like, look to the cross of Jesus. Right, that God is so committed to his holiness that he actually suffers for it. This is the gospel and really the storyline of the Bible. This is that the reason that Jesus dies on a cross was ultimately for his holiness and his love. Right, that because of God's holiness, he can't be part of that which is sinful, which is us. But in his love, he desires us, and so he takes it upon himself to be the solution to that problem, and he dies to give us a way out of sin and death. The holiness and the love of God we see beautifully at the cross. So he is absolutely loving, but he's first holy, 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 holy is the Lord God Almighty. And so here's what I want to do. We tend to get this idea that God is love, right? You might not, we wrestle with it because of, does he really love me that much? You know, and we talk about it a lot. I want to help us to understand what it means that God is, is holy. Okay, and so if you're new, um, just a quick heads up, we're going to go through some things that are just kind of tough. Okay, kind of intense. We don't do this every week. Come back next week, it'll be something different maybe. I don't know. But, but it, when it's in the Bible, we talk about it. Because we don't want to skip the hard things, we want to go through it. But I want to show you some stories throughout the Bible that show the holiness of God. And the first one is in Leviticus chapter 10. It's going to come up here. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, Aaron's a priest, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Okay, so God kills a couple priests. What do we think about this, right? Here's what's going on. Nadab and Abihu, they were ordained as priests among God's people, and the priests of the Old Testament, they worshiped and they led people to worship as God has declared to them through Moses and Aaron. That they, as a priest, that there were very specific ways that they would worship and very specific things that they would do and very specific things that they wouldn't do, as God decreed. That there was a proper order to the worship that they would lead people in that honored God. And these brothers here, in their youth and in their pride, here's what they did. They decided that they're just going to worship God however they wanted to. And they basically said, hey, we're not going to listen to God We don't need his words. We don't need him telling us what to do. His ways are fine. My ways are better. I'm going to do my own thing. And they basically just defined who God was on their own terms, and they did what they wanted. And so they didn't listen to God. They do what they want. They worship in a wrong way, in an unauthorized way. And God says, nope. That's not going to work. And he kills them. And the big idea here is you don't get to worship God however you want. This is a message that our our world just desperately needs to hear as we're all trying to define who God is. That God is I am who I am. In Isaiah 55, the truth there, right, that we all have thoughts and ways. But God says my thoughts and my ways are different from yours and they're actually higher than yours and better than yours. And so as Christians... We come before this holy God and we follow his thoughts and his words, not our own. Because when we refuse to listen and go God's way, which is the best way, which is a good way, which is a perfect way, sin comes in, brokenness comes in, death comes in. God is holy. 
The next one is in 2 Samuel 6. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah, who's a, another priest, put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the ark of God. Again, welcome to Doxa if you're new, okay? But another strange passage. Seems a little intense. Maybe it's potentially like this, is, this doesn't seem right. Here's what's going on. God had given Moses and Aaron specific instruction about the movement and transportation of the Ark of the Covenant. All right, and the Ark was pictured just a, a big box or a chest. It was covered in gold. It contained the Ten Commandments, but it also was the place of the mercy seat of God, which is where the atonement of, of sin would happen for all the people once a year, according to Leviticus 16. And so it's a very significant thing, and it pointed to the holiness of God and there were very specific instructions on how the ark was to be transported. That according to Exodus chapter 25 and Numbers chapter 7, it was supposed to be carried on poles, but not just by hands, but on the shoulders of the priests. Just the priests. But Uzzah decided that he had a better way than God. So I, I hear all that stuff, that's not that important. I'm just going to do my own way. He throws it onto an old cart behind some oxen and like straps it with some bungee cords. Okay? I mean, he basically just treats it like you're driving down Fraternity Row and you see a couch and you throw it on top of your Subaru, right? This is what he did with like the Ark of God. And I just need you to see this. Just like Nadab and Abihu, he did his own thing and he went his own way. He refused to listen to God. And this oxen trips, the cart tips, the Ark is falling out. Uzzah is like, oh my gosh, no. He goes out to touch it and God just says No. And he dies for that. Guys, God is like, I love you. I love your people. I'm providing for you. I'm fighting for you. I'm caring for you. I'm supporting you. I'm giving to you. I'm speaking to you. I'm showing you my ways. I'm not asking you to do crazy amounts of things, but can you just honor me? Can you just honor me as God? And Uzzah dies. Another one is in 2 Chronicles 26. I'm not going to read this whole thing, but I'll just sum it up. But there's a king over Judah named Uzziah. And Uzziah was a pretty decent king for a while, but later in his life, after a prophet named Zechariah died, Uzziah started kind of going his own way a little bit, but he was very successful, all right? very famous, very prominent, but also very prideful, which ultimately led to his downfall. And this is what happens. All right? King Uzziah... He goes into the temple to perform sacrifices. This is not what kings did. This was the role of the priests. And as he walks into the temple, the priests are like, hey dude, you're a king. You have a very specific thing. This is like what we do. You can't do this. This is not good in the sight of God. And Uzziah says like, hey, I don't know if you know who I am. I'm kind of a big deal, right? So I can do my own thing. I'll do whatever I want. And he goes and he does what he wants to do, and once again, God says no. And Uzziah gets leprosy and dies. And again, it's dishonor that leads to sin, which leads to death. Now, I know some of you are hearing this and be like, this is exactly why I don't read the Old Testament, right? 
It's weird. I'm a New Testament kind of gal, right? Gal, guy, whatever, you know, that's a different sermon, okay? But anyway. But I like the New Testament because Jesus is really nice and he plays with kids and there's none of this. Let me show you that God is actually immutable, which means that he doesn't change. And this continues on throughout the New Testament in the early church after Jesus was crucified and resurrected. Acts chapter 5. I'll sum it up by saying this. We meet two Christians in the early church, Ananias and Sapphira. If you know your Bible, you know the story. Ananias and Sapphira, they're at a worship service with God's people. Everybody's kind of bringing money to, to give and to contribute to the needs of the church and the people. Ananias and Sapphira come and they say, hey, we just sold a piece of our property for a million dollars and we're going we're gonna to give it all to God. We're going to give it all to the church, all to God's people, when in reality they actually sold it for $100 million and they were keeping it all for themselves. And so they lied and they were just posturing because they cared about what people thought about them, not what God thought about them. Their life was all about their glory and their comfort and what they wanted, not about what God wanted and his glory and his honor. And so they lied to the Holy Spirit. And God in this moment says, you know what? Hey, Jesus literally just died and rose and ascended. The Holy Spirit came and breathed life into the early church. This thing is brand new. We're starting a thing that's going to change the world, that's going to carry the gospel to every nation of people. We're not going to start it like this. We're not going to start it with lying to the Spirit, lying to God, and sin. And Ananias and Sapphira died. We even see this in the Apostle Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul is talking about communion. He calls it a cup of blessing. He says every time you take this cup, you're remembering Jesus, you're worshiping Jesus. And then in 1 Corinthians, if you guys remember that when we went through there, like it was like Christians gone wild. That church had so many weird things going on, right? People sleeping with their moms, all this stuff. And here, they're getting drunk at communion. Okay? They're getting drunk at communion. They're up this thing that they're supposed to come together and remember Jesus and worship Jesus, they're just getting hammered. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, hey, the reason why at your worship gathering, why there's people getting sick and there's even some people dying, is because you're taking it in an unworthy manner. And this unworthy manner is meaning that they were living their life for themselves with no regard for God. It wasn't about his glory and his honor. They were doing it their own way, and it was for their own self. Guys, I just need you to see this. All of what we looked at is a result of people not seeing God as holy and special and significant and set apart. And because of that, they made life all about themselves. They made life all about their desires, their thoughts, their ways, and this led to them to just disregard God, and sin and death came. All these people essentially said, I'm going to define who God is. I'll decide what he is like. I'll decide what he actually says. Like I know that God says I am who I am, but I kind of have a better way that fits my agenda and my personality and my perspective, and so that's what I'm going to do. It's not that big a deal, but it's actually a really big deal. And so let me just try and wrap this up and land the plane, okay? Here's what I'm not trying to do. 
Okay, I'm not trying to scare you straight. You guys remember that show, Scared Straight? Where they take the troubled kids to the prison and make them hang out with inmates. And they're like, I'm going to scare you straight, right? I'm not, I'm not trying to do that. Or prison Mike in the office, I'm not trying to do that, okay? The Dementors, that's why. Sorry. It's the office. I'm not trying to scare you straight. But I am praying that we would all grow in a healthy fear of the Lord. Proverbs 1.7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Philippians chapter two, the Apostle Paul says, work out your salvation with what? Fear and trembling. And this fear is not being scared, okay? You know, okay, I don't, I don't like walk into the, the auditorium every, every Sunday and I'm like, oh geez, I know what I did this week. Is this gonna be the day that God's gonna kill me, right? The name of this sermon is like not, that sometimes God kills people. That's not the name of this, okay? You need to understand that the fear of the Lord is, is reverence. It's awe. It's coming before a, a holy, powerful God and seeing that he cannot be in the presence of sin, but somehow Jesus has taken that sin, and I get to be in the presence of him, even though sin is a very real part of my life, and we just come in here limping with reverence and awe and worship and saying, you are amazing. This is not about me. This is all about you. This is the fear of the Lord. And my prayer is that all this stuff that we just looked at would shape our theology. Doc said, God loves you so much. If you don't know that, God loves you so much through the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You are loved by God. But he also cares about how you live your life for and with him because he is holy. And so by way of application, let me just give you a couple things. I want you to know that God's words to us in the Bible are a really big deal. They're a really big deal. This helps us to know who God is. God tells us who he is in this book. God tells us who we are in this book. You need to be in God's word. You need to know what truth is. When Jesus says to worship in spirit and truth, we can't just have a spiritual experience where you're like, I got the heebie-jeebies and I got my hands up. That's fine, but you might not be worshiping in truth. You need to know the truth of God, have a true north so you know who he is, so you don't unintentionally just like dishonor him and not treat him as holy. We need to be Bible-saturated and not be led by our own thoughts and desires or cultural influences, or the biggest influencer on social media that you follow right now. It's not about their voice, it's about the voice of God through scripture. You need to know God's word. The second thing I'll tell you guys is not only is God's word a big deal, sin is a really big deal. It's the biggest problem in all of our lives. And there's consequences for our sin. And Christian, I'll I'll tell you this, You've been saved by the the blood of Jesus and by the grace of God, you can stand and say the truth of Romans chapter eight, no condemnation. Amen? But sin will rob you of your joy, will destroy your life, will quench the spirit of God in your life. 
Maybe there's sin, Christian, that you need to repent of today. And just lay it down and know the truth that I shared with my daughter last night as we laid in bed of 1 John 1, 9. We confess our sins to Jesus. He is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness. And I told Lily last night, she's like, is that real? I'm like, is it in this book? She's like, yeah, that's real. Rest in that. And then the third thing I'll say is that God will deal with all sin. Because when we sin, we're not getting away with anything. You know, I mean, it's, if we had like moments like this where like Ananias and Sapphira and you lied in church and all of a sudden the ground opened up and you caught on fire, you'd be like, oh, I'm not doing that today, okay, right? And so sometimes we think like nothing bad actually happens. Maybe God's cool with it. Because we will all, Romans 14, we will all stand before God one day and give an account of the life that we lived. And this is why we all need Jesus. Because on that day, I'm going there reverently. I'm going there being like, is it okay if I look at you? Is it okay? I really want to. Can I do it? But I'm not going there scared of judgment because Jesus is with me. And he's like, I got this one. This is why you need Jesus. And for those of you who are not Christians, I love you because God loves you. And I don't know if I'm ever going to see you again, so I need to tell you this. Without Jesus, the fear of the Lord that you should have right now is the fear of the judgment that will come for your sin. That you have sin just like me. But if you don't have Jesus, ahead of you is judgment and condemnation, not salvation. You need Jesus. He loves you. He has made a way for you. His heart is open to you right now. Come to him. Come to him. That's why this whole thing exists, so that we could tell you that you are loved by God, and it's you just coming in your mind, in your heart, just saying, I'm a sinner, you're a savior, take my sin, give me your righteousness, and I'll follow you. That's you doing that right now. Make that decision today. And for those of us who are Christians, we will tell you, every single one of us, this is the most important decision that we have ever made. And it's the only decisions we've ever not regretted or second thought. Amen? Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. We have a God who is holy. It should be revered. And he loves us with a holy love. And we see that perfectly at the cross of Jesus. Come to that today. Let me pray. Father, I, I love you. And um, God, I do, uh, yeah, I confess, I, even as I preach, I feel convicted that, yeah, I don't, I don't see you like this all the time. There are moments in my day, in my life, where I don't revere you and, and stand in awe of you, but I go my own way, and much like these men and women that we've been looking at, I just define you. But I'm thankful that you're slow to anger and you're patient in Jesus, you forgive all that. And so I just say thank you. God, would you help us to be a people that would grab hold of your love, that would experience your love, that would give away that love while simultaneously being people that would be in awe of you, that we would be in reverential towards you because you are in fact holy. Help us 
as we meet you in the scriptures to see who you are and to truly worship. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So guys, we...